A very warm welcome to the Cricket Library podcast. My name is Matt Ellis and it's wonderful to have your company as we talk all things cricket with passionate cricket people and we've had some very passionate people in the last little while on the program and I would encourage you to catch up on any back episodes that you need to catch up on. But don't do that right now. Do that after you listen to this chat with Nathan Horritz. 17 test matches for Australia. Baggy Green, number 390. 58 one-day internationals. 63 wickets in test matches and 63 wickets also in one-day internationals. He also played a couple of T20 internationals for Australia as well. An illustrious first-class career spanning a number of years playing for both Queensland and New South Wales. We'll ask him about that. We'll ask him about his entry into cricket, uh, his passion for cricket, where it all came from growing up. We'll also ask him about that move to New South Wales and how that all worked out for him, as well as what it was like as a young man getting called into the one-day international squad and playing an ODI. Uh, winning the Bradman Young Cricketer of the Year, his test debut in 2004. He's done lots of things, an Ashes tour, a Champions Trophy. We're going to ask him about that. The Champions Trophy back in 2009, he did some great work with the bat. He was also man of the match in a Big Bash final, BBL 02 for the Brisbane Heat and took a couple of good catches in that game. So we'll ask him about that. We'll ask him about the transition out of cricket into life as a normal citizen and the challenges associated with that. Also, we'll ask him about the challenges of dealing with injuries because he had a few of those setbacks in his career. But right now, it's time to sit back, relax and enjoy our chat with Nathan Horitz. And it's a very warm welcome to the Cricket Library podcast to Nathan Horitz. Thanks for joining us. No dramas, Matty. How are you, mate? I'm very well, mate. Great to have you on the program. I appreciate you giving us some time, busy time for you at the moment and uh, plenty going on. Uh, Can you tell us a little bit about where your passion for cricket started? Oh, mate, look, I think the the, the passion that I had for cricket started probably was about four or five. You know, look, um, my granddad uh, loved cricket. Um, out of, so I was from Kingaroy at the time and just used to play in the backyard with him. Um, and then uh, it just sort of evolved from there. So when I wasn't with my granddad playing, I'd be in the backyard playing with the old man when you come home from concreting every day. And then, mate, that, that's pretty much where it started. And your, your early experiences after, after that backyard kind of experience, uh, playing club cricket, do you have any memories of playing club cricket? Yeah, look, it's, it's a good question because I've been asked that a few times. I reckon the first few memories was uh, when we moved to Harvey Bay. So parents, we all moved to Harvey Bay when I was about six. Uh, and I hadn't started playing club cricket in, in Kingaroy. Obviously, I was pretty young. But we started playing uh, like under 11s and under 12s, you know, when we were seven and eight back then because there was just heaps of – there was nothing else. It was just that. And then I remember playing that and, and under 13 when I was about nine. So – because they were the age groups, you know, we didn't have have a go or Milo cricket or anything like that. Um, and that's there, there for me. And then obviously, you know, playing at lunchtime, 
I, I was just cricket mad. I was, you know, in the front front yard. I had a brick wall. I used to come home every day. Uh, I used to write down my test team, you know, yep. so I'd have Australia playing. Um, so I'd bat left-handed when I had Hayden and Langer batting, and I'd try and throw the ball like an outswinger or, you know, if it's uh, Courtney Walsh or someone, you know, like trying to roll my fingers across the ball. <laughs> so it, uh, I'd always make sure Australia won, but I'd make it, you know, pretty close when Australia played West Indies or something like that. So they're my most fondest memories for sure, yeah. And you obviously um, got yourself into the into the pathway. Do, do you remember much about um, progressing into that Queensland under seventeens, Queensland under nineteens? Was that something that kind of happened seamlessly, or was it uh, something that that has a bit of a backstory to it? Um, look, I think you now. Look, just in my little, I guess, age group, there was uh, Watson. Stevie Paulson, Mitch Johnson, um, we had Chris Hartley coming through, you know, just so we were sort of identified, I guess, at under 13 level. They had an emerging players, uh, you know, system back then, which kids from about the age of under 13 to under 15 used to go to uh, Churchy to go train or, you know, they might go up north yep. to do that sort of stuff and you work with the, the high-performance coaches and that sort of thing. But... I guess once back then, because there probably weren't as many cricketers around, once you were identified and, and you were half decent, you you were in that sort of squad. And then, you know, once you got picked, you know, from there, just because you're in the emerging player squad didn't mean that you're going to make the Queensland 14s or 16s or whatever it was. Uh, I think the year I made the Queensland under 14, I had a, we went to New Zealand and I scored, I don't know, four or five hundreds and took a lot of wickets. That's probably when my development started more and more. And that's when I went to Nudgee College and just being around that sort of group. And then, you know, I was picked as a number eight batsman for Queensland or number eight or number nine and bowling all rounder at the, you know, at the age of sort of 15 and just sort of grew from there. But that's when I sort of started to transform into a bowler. And you mentioned scoring some hundreds there. We'll, we'll talk about your first class batting a bit, bit later on. Did you have yep. a preference? Was it, um, was it something that came naturally to you? I mean, most most people, I think, love batting, um, yeah. and it's just that some people are better at it than others. Did Did you see yourself as a batting all rounder, or as as a bowling all rounder, or you were just happy doing uh, whatever you had the opportunity to do? Oh, look, I, I, when I was growing up, I loved batting. Uh, I loved being a batting all rounder, and uh, you know, I look up until you know, I still loved it. You know, even at the end of my career, I, I underperformed greatly. I thought with the bat, you know, look, I, I didn't put in enough work. Uh, when I wasn't playing and, you know, I just, I just thought that, you know, that being a bowler, you know, I do my job, but, you know, I had many opportunities to, you know, become that better batting all rounder that could bat six or seven. Uh, but I, I never, never took advantage, I don't reckon, of, of, of the skill I had. But definitely growing up, I, I loved my batting more than my bowling. And you progress into the Australian under-19s and just having a look through that group of players, you mentioned some of them already, some of the Queensland ones, Chris Hartley, Mitch Johnson, Shane Watson, um, but that era as well, Michael Clark, Ed Cowan, Sean Marsh, Aaron O'Brien, yeah. Paul Rofe. Uh, it's a pretty handy contingent of players. What was it like being around a group like that and having the opportunity to captain those players at Australian under-19 level? Yeah, well, it was awesome. You know, look, obviously Pup uh, was, a, you know, he was just starting to play first-class cricket, so it was Watto. I think both of them were sort of around that, 
18 year age group. They were just starting. So for us, it was a really exciting time to see, you know, these guys who, you know, what, I'd known what I since I was 12. I'd known Pup since I was about 15. You know, seeing these guys play first class cricket was just amazing. And uh, back then, you know, Sean Marsh, uh, like he was, he, he batted exactly the same way as what he does now. He was, he was just amazing, you know, look, and, uh, it was a great feeling and, and having Mitch come through, you know, this wild kid from, you know, North Queensland, uh, we didn't know much about and, you know, it was Dennis Lilly and I just remember how fast he used to bowl back then. It was just pretty scary. And now look at even guys like Ed Cowan, you know, like he was a, a very good cricketer. You know, he was a great cricketer when he played as well, but going on to play more, uh, back then, um, we, we, look, we, we had a, we underachieved, I think, you know, look, we got to the semifinals of the, the under 19 world cup, but it was over in Sri Lanka and we just, every team that bowled spin, we just could not play, yeah. you know, and, and I don't think too much has changed in, you know, 20 years or whatever it is, but, uh, no, it was, it was a lot of fun playing back then and, and a lot of great memories. And, and you have some time at the cricket Academy as well. Is that, is that right? Yeah. Yeah. I went there. Uh, I think it was 1999, so straight out of school. Uh, you know, look, Wada was there, Mitch was there, Andrew McDonald, Hartley, Vogue, uh, you know, Andrew Kent. We, there was just, that's just to name a few. There was so many good cricketers at, you know, because back then the academy was just for about, you know, probably 14 or 15 cricketers, yep. you know. So it was a really, and Rod Marsh was running, it was Wayne Phillips and Troy Cooley. Yep. And it was uh, seen as, you know, look, a, just a, a great stepping stone. If you got to go to the academy, it's, it's pretty much something that you want to grow up for as a kid. You know, it was just the be all and end all of cricket growing up was to be part of that academy. So I pre- remember growing up, yeah, I remember growing up collecting cricket cards from guys who went <laughs> to the academy. You know, like Quentin Perrin was one of them. And, yeah. you know, it was just when I was growing up, I was like, I want to go to the academy. You know, this is something that I want to do. And get that invitation was awesome. And, and you know, you look, because you're doing cricket 25 hours a day. Yeah, yeah. You know, so... Just living and breathing it, living the dream. Yeah, mate, it was awesome. It was great. And uh, just an individual honour that came um, uh, around that time as well, a couple of years later, the, the Bradman Young Cricketer of the Year Award. What did something like that mean to you as a young guy, winning that, winning that Bradman Young Cricketer of the Year Award? Uh, look, it, it was it was obviously a great honour, you know, to, you know, to get that award. You know, there's some great people before me that, that have received the award. I think sometimes, though, like when, as a young kid, when you get that sort of stuff, you, you start to think you're a little bit better cricketer than what you are, if, if that makes sense. Yeah. And my, my game, you know, being a, a spinning all-rounder, uh, you know, more of a spinner in the one-day format, I had so many things to fix in my game. Uh, you know, it'd probably be a blessing to not get that award, you know, and think, okay, look, I, I need to play in a side or the, the coaches need to pick me, all that sort of stuff. Yep. But it was definitely a great honour to get it. Um, you know, look, I think these days it's obviously completely changed how the voting works and that sort of stuff for it. But, um, yeah, no, it's, I've still got the bat and all that sort of stuff and, you know, I appreciate every day with it. And breaking into first-class cricket, uh, you make your Mercantile Mutual Cup debut January 2001 against Victoria. Pretty yep. pretty tidy return, none for 38 off your 10 overs there. Matty Elliott for Victoria, um, he made, I think he made a couple of hundreds against Queensland that yeah, summer. Yeah, yeah, back to back. Yeah, um, very, very tough uh, assignment bowling to someone like him first up. Can you tell us a bit about um, the lead up to that game? How how you prepared yourself for first class cricket and and what you were feeling around that time? Well, I was actually in Bangladesh touring with the the academy side, so I was captaining that side. Hearts was over there. 
Wayne Phillips was coach, uh, and we were just literally we were staying in a place I can't remember the place, but there was no power, so we had uh, candles as lights and all that sort of stuff. Um, and I remember coming down to breakfast one morning, and Wayne Phillips said, um, "You know, as he does, uh, mate, you've got to." Uh, I can't swear, but he said, mate, you've got to F off out of here. I'm like, oh, what do you mean? And he goes, mate, you've just been picked to Queensland. Well done. So, um, yeah, so I literally played that day uh, and then flew out, I think, from memory that night, got in, started training. Uh, it was all a whirlwind. You know, look, it was just, you know, because when you're first playing, people interviewing you and, and that sort of thing back then. And, uh, I, look, I, I guess the one – the one saving grace for me was I was bowling to a left-hander in my first game, you know, yeah. at the Gabba, and it was such a big boundary for me. You know, I never really played on a big boundary, so I had a lot of confidence in bowling. I, I knew who Herbie was, you know, I'd watched him on TV, but I'd also, you know, been told he's not the greatest player of spin. Yep. So I was able to do a job. Uh, you know, James Hope made his debut that game as well. He took four for 30-odd. Yep. That was the start of, of his career there. So that was the last five games that year for Queensland, and I uh, took a couple of wickets in, in a couple of the games. But, you know, it was just a great experience to be around the boys and, um, you know, play first-class career the next year. Yeah, and that first-class career starting in October 2001, uh, yep. you, you got the chance to pile on a few runs. You and Ashley Nofke put on 105. You, you're batting number 10. Um, yep. did, did that help uh, coming in? and getting runs in that first game, did that kind of help ease the nerves a little bit? Can you tell us a bit about that? Oh, maybe, maybe, because, look, I've, batting 10, you know, look, there's, I think the hardest part I found was when you're batting so low, you start to think of yourself as that type of batsman. Yeah. And you don't, and you sort of train that way. But, um, you know, I, I remember playing and uh, I remember saying to Noth, I'm going to charge Warney first ball uh, <laughs> just because, you know, it was Warney. I didn't hit him, you know, I just, I tried to, you know, get on top of him, but as Warney did, he was quite <laughs> quite dismissive to someone like me coming in. Yeah. Uh, but the wicket, you know, look, the wicket, it was back in the day when you um, you play the four-dayer, then the next day you play the one-dayer. Oh, so yeah. So the wicket had, yeah, so the wicket was still in pretty good nick the whole way through. And uh, look, I, I got Armberger out for my first wicket. Yeah. Um, you know, so that was, you know, a great feeling to, to get him at court mid-on and, you know, it was just a nice thing, you know, you, you work your whole career to, to get that opportunity and, and to, you know, play. You know, Queensland was a great setup back then, um, you know, to get that opportunity was fantastic. A very strong era for the Bulls and it uh, sounds like a, a great environment to be learning your craft. And any anyone in particular around that time help you ease into the team? Oh, look, Andrew Simons was a, was a big, big one. You know, look, he was definitely a larrikin and played cricket hard, you know, you know, enjoyed a beer off the field, but like Casper, Bick, you know, all those guys, they, you know, they just, they make you feel so welcome. Wade Seckham and now coach, all that sort of stuff. Like that, they had a great environment. Um, and for a young kid coming in, um, you know, look, I had, I had aspirations to play for Australia, all that sort of thing. But in that environment, it's quite hard to bowl spin. <laughs> yeah. You know, Andrew Simons could do it um, and all that sort of thing. But uh, look, yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun to be part of. And a, a pretty handy pace attack at the time as well on the um, on the Gabba Green top up there too. Mate, it was ridiculous. It was just uh, – that's why it wasn't great batting at 10 because they knew that I can't really do much. All they do is just bounce the bejesus out of me and um, <laughs> I just got to cop it really. So <laughs> I think that's when my batting started to go downhill to be fair. Uh, and, and now you have that experience playing for, for Queensland. You mentioned there that you'd always had aspirations – 
of playing for Australia. Did, did you expect the call to come so soon? Uh, 2002, the one-day international call-up against South Africa. Can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, I remember it really, really vividly, actually. We were playing um, New South Wales at the SBG day four. We'd set them a target uh, in the afternoon to chase down and we'd end up playing on the lights. We got a call uh, during tea. Uh, we were all sitting around uh, the dining room, as you do at the SBG or the, the change room, and Andrew Hildich was speaking to Kingy because they had to let everybody know he was being selected. They handed the phone to Andrew Simons first. Um, and then, no, was it Roy? No, might have been Jimmy. Might have been Jimmy, I reckon. Yep. Because I don't think Roy, I don't think Roy went on that tour. I can't remember. No, I don't reckon he did because Ian Harvey was there. Um, yeah, it must have been Jimmy. It was Jimmy that they handed the, the phone to and the, the change room just went, uh, you know, really loud and wild. Yeah. And then Jimmy was talking and then, uh, he said, "Radio, I'll hand it to him." And then uh, Jimmy handed the phone to me. Wow! So um, yeah, it was it was pretty pretty surreal, and you know it's um, it's quite hard to concentrate that afternoon. I think we we drew the game; we couldn't get them out. They were nine down or something. Um, but yeah, it was a uh, pretty amazing feeling. And then getting the opportunity to play for Australia and uh, Gilly taking my first catch and my first over was you know certainly felt the nerves. But it helps when you're coming in at five for uh, coming on the ball at five for seventy or whatever. Yep. Uh, and yeah, it was just like, it was just awesome. Was you know, it, it both a Dippin' R number one? Both a Dippin' R, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Oh. yeah, it was um, nice, nice one that didn't spin as per usual. <laughs> <laughs> just, but, no, it was good. Just you mentioned that the the one that didn't spin. I remember you getting some wickets against Pakistan uh, in Sydney. It must have been, and, and the commentators <laughs> yeah. were trying to debate where, whether you'd bowled the Dusera. Or whether it had just kind of gone straight on. Did did you bowl a Dusra? In Sydney, I definitely didn't. They just kept going straight on. Yeah. Uh, okay. But in in uh, in Melbourne, I had one. I got Muhammad Amir caught at short leg, and was, I tried to bowl my because I eventually did sort of get one, but it was just really slow. Like my arm speed, like it was such a big different pace. Like I got Cameron Akmal at stumps and Muhammad Amir at caught short leg, and both of them bounced heat. Uh, whether they turned a little bit the other way, I don't reckon, but I'd like to say they did. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, certainly the one to Amir, I think, because uh, it was two in two balls. And, and yeah, the second, two in two balls, the yeah. second one looked like it did sort of um, head in towards the, the pad. Yeah, uh, I'll from, take it no matter what. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, now uh, playing white ball cricket, um, white ball cricket v red ball cricket, ha- did you find there was much of a change you needed to do with your with your preparation? Like back back then, we mentioned already that you'd you'd play the shield game and then that'd flow into your mercantile mutual cup game, and you'd be yeah. changing from red ball to white ball quite consistently. Um, how did you find the, the the change? Did you have any tactical changes that you'd need to make to your preparations um, from one format to the other? And and did you prefer one over the other? Oh, look, I loved one-day cricket, but my role was just so cement and stone. You know, look, I'd come on, because back then, from over 30 to 50, I had five out. Yep. So Queensland would go through their quicks and everybody else, and over 30, I'd come on and bowl 10 overs, bowl tight, change of pace, you know, look to bowl full, not let them get under me, all that sort of stuff. Uh, Red Bull cricket, I was just really, you know, look, because of my, I guess, inability to try and take wickets in white ball cricket, I just had to do a job and contain 
when I got to Red Bull Cricket, I, I wasn't good enough to consistently land the ball in a spot, spin the ball hard every time. You know, I'd, I'd fall into bad habits. And, and that's, that's what got me into a really bad state playing for Queensland when I was young. Yeah, okay. Okay. Uh, but you do, you do end up progressing to test cricket. Uh, you, you go on the India tour. Uh, yep. I think you and Cam White were the two yes. two yeah, ex- yeah. extra spinners. Warney was expected to do the lion's share of the work over there, and it was. Is it correct in saying they were kind of viewing that as a bit of a development opportunity for you and Cam? Yeah, yeah, and that, and that was what was passed on. You know, look, if the possibility happens that we play two spinners, you know, look, it'll be very rare if we do, but you'll always be in, in the in the framework, I guess. So for me, it was just more about staying fit, training hard. You know, bowling to everyone in the nets and just being a good team man. And how was India as as a place to play cricket? Uh, I was good. You know, look, it was a lot of fun. I enjoyed bowling in the nets. You know, look, I, I remember I've uh, I remember one net session vividly against uh, Justin Langer. I reckon I got him out about six times in the nets. Wow! And um, he, uh, I was giggling <laughs> one time because <laughs> it was such a bad shot. I didn't mean to giggle. I don't even think I giggled. I think I might have just had a smile because I was like, you know, I've got because I bowled to JL before and he's whacked me everywhere. Yeah. So when I was bowling to him and he, he just sort of said, what are you effing laughing at, you little prick? <laughs> <laughs> I'll, uh, I've brought that up a few times with him. But, no, nah, look, it was good. It's a, it's a great place to play cricket. And I would have loved to have played a lot better when I had the opportunities over there. And, and that's, what I, that's what I mean. You know, my game wasn't ever up to scratch to be good enough. Uh, you know, it was good enough in periods, but not good enough. Like, as a line, he can bowl the same ball in the same spot, you know, 80 times, 90 times out of 100. And, yeah. and really in India... That's what you need to be doing because if, as soon as you miss your length, miss your pace, you know, you're, they're on top of you straight away. Yeah, yeah. And, and that game, that first test, you, you get called into the side. Uh, how much lead-in time did you have knowing that you were a chance of playing in that game? Uh, the first, like uh, when I made my debut or when I didn't, just the first test? Uh, the, the, when you actually made your debut when you oh, were no, in look, Mumbai. Uh, yeah, yeah, no, Punter told me at breakfast. So, because I was batting beside Warney, I think, and he went forward to a ball, hit him on the end of the thumb. And as Warney does, you know, look, he carries on a little bit and he's like, oh, I think I've just broken my thumb. Anyway, so I just kept bowling. Um, and at this stage, too, I had actually cut my finger because I'd bowled that much. Oh, wow. You know, with those balls. Yeah, so those balls, they were so hard. You know, because I was always bowling and, you know, look, as spinners, about the only injury that you really ever got was just a, a bad cut on your finger, which mate, does make it hard to hold the ball. And back then, we had no idea what to do. You know, what the... Sorry, the big shot jump up. Um, had no idea what to do with regard to glue or tape or anything. So, punters like, mate, just stop bowling now. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow with Warney. Uh, you know, we don't need you to make your finger any worse, all that sort of stuff. I'm like, yeah, sweet. So I reckon I'm bowled for about another hour because <laughs> I just started getting, I started to get a bit more nervous. I wanted to, to feel good. Yeah. Um, then anyway, I was uh, breakfast and Pana said, mate, congratulations, you're going to make your debut today. <laughs> oh, how good. He goes, I didn't want to tell you last night just in case you couldn't sleep. So. Uh, yeah, I don't think I'd be sleeping if I'd had a, no. a night's notice for a test match. Now, no. the conditions there, this is, this is the game – Michael Clark takes six for nine, six for nine. In, yeah. the, in the second innings. Um, your returns are pretty good too. Like you, you, you take three for 16. Uh, you get a couple of big wickets. You get Laxman and Tendulkar who'd both made half centuries uh, in that. I think that might have been in their second innings. Um, yeah, in their second innings. Uh, Damien Martin 
uh, classy as always. He, he made some yeah. runs. Um, yeah. W- what was the test match experience like for you? What are your oh, recollections? It, uh, mate, it was just unbelievable. You know, look, you know, I think uh, Anil Kumble was, I got him out my first over as well. Uh, yeah. Called Punter at cover. Um, you know, so that was awesome. And the ball was just, it was just spinning miles. And after that first, like the, my finger was okay that first, innings and then at, right at the end of it it split open um you know so i remember i was like ah, oh, this is not i was just going to try and get through it the best i can anyway so i remember going out to bat my first inning uh john buchanan came over and just said mate uh bat with bat with marto you know look i'll set the field back a little bit they have people in just just do what you do and just hang around rotate the strike i think i've I faced two balls from Neil Kumble and I think it bounced and spun about a metre. And I'm like, I started to get real nervous and I tried to bomb him back over his head and got caught for a duck. Um, and then, yeah, look, the, the second innings, I, I bowled okay. I didn't, couldn't land them as well. Uh, got Tendulkar and Laxman out. But they'd sort of done enough damage at that time. You know, look, okay. they'd, they'd, they'd got, you know, whatever it was, 50 runs each and sort of put us on the back foot. But I remember batting with, uh, I reckon it was dizzy. I reckon he might have put on about thirty at the end and got, sort of got us close to the target yeah. uh, of a, of a hundred or whatever it was. Um, and then I got out of LBW to come back again. But uh, like it was just a, a topsy turvy game, and yeah, it was just so much fun, so much fun, so nerve wracking, but so much fun. And, and then you you have a uh, a crash back down to earth, so to speak. You come back to play domestic cricket, and. Yeah. Um, what was that like coming back from having played test cricket? You kind of feel like you're that's that's where you want to be. That's where what you want to be doing. Um, and then coming back to play domestically, um, can you tell us a, a little bit about uh, what that was like? Look, it's probably probably close to the worst six games of my life. I reckon I ever played cricket. You know, look, it was uh, I came back because we'd finished the test early. And so the option was Queensland were playing South Australia down at Adelaide and I busted my finger and got asked if I wanted to fly back. But if I fly back, I land. I don't know if it was the morning of the game or the night before the game. I think it might have been the morning of the game. Um, wow. And I was like, yeah, I've got to play cricket. I just want to play cricket because I hadn't played really. Yeah. Uh, landed back uh, and just had horrible, I had a horrible next, you know, five or six games. I think I had about three or four games of none for 100. Um, and my game unraveled really quickly. And that's where I go, well, I didn't know, wasn't good enough to be leaning the ball in the right spot. I remember, you know, trying to do different things, always trying. And mate, it was just, um, yeah, it was definitely a full back, full back to earth with a really quick thud. And it wasn't a great spot to be in. I wasn't a great spot mentally with cricket. And it just happened so, so quickly. And, uh, the decision to move to New South Wales was that um, based around kind of the idea trying to get yourself into a different context, uh, give yourself a bit of a fresh start. Can you tell us a bit about yeah. that transition? Yeah, look, I'd spoken a little bit with Greg Matthews. You know, he he was over in India and he did a little bit of work with me. And you know, the whole thing, like I, I wanted to play cricket for Australia and I wanted to enjoy my cricket. And I, I actually wasn't even enjoying being around the Queensland group. And that was nothing to do with what they were doing. It was just me as an individual and just drop my bottom lip and sulk and not bowling, you know, doing what I needed to do. And there was no coach. Like there was no coach to help spin bowling. There was no emphasis on improving on improving spin bowling. So, you know, I had a bit of a chat with Trevor Bayless and, and going down without a contract and just sort of said, mate, look, I, I just want to work with spin bowling. You know, work with Hads was there, you know, like Hads was, you know, captain a lot. Caddick was there. Caddo, I mean, you know, Matty Mott, I knew Motty, I knew Flegs and, 
uh, Mike Whitney rung me up about coming to Ramwick Petersham. Um, yep. You know, and they sounded like a great club. Um, you know, so all that sort of stuff. And I was like, you know what? If I want to do this, you know, I've got to give it a crack. You know, like I'm better than, you know, this guy who's averaging mid-30s with the ball in one-day cricket now. I was starting to, to lose what I was doing in that and not playing shield cricket. And, yeah, I just felt that I had a lot more to give. I wanted to be around people that, you know, bring a spinner on in the first 10 overs or open the spin bowling or do something different. And, and that's why I did it. And and how is life in Sydney? Um, you, you grew up in uh, outside of Brisbane, so you weren't in the yep. in the city in the hustle and bustle. Randwick Petersham, a, a busy part of the world. How, how did you find living living in the city of Sydney, or had you kind of already adjusted to that from your time uh, playing at <coughs> Queensland and, and living closer to Brisbane? Yeah, it's an interesting one. I, I remember being part of the Blue Squad, you know, in that first year and having to drive out to Homebush every second day or whatever it was for, <laughs> for fitness and weights at 6 a.m., you know, so it was, uh, and then drive, driving back through two hours of traffic. <laughs> so that was probably the biggest thing that I had to get used to. But, you know, look, I, my uh, Diane um, wife was down there with me at the time and, you know, it was, it was just great for us, you know, to, you know, to, I guess to start again and start something fresh and just be around, you know, around people that, that wanted you there and it's just a whole new environment. And when, you know, two people, you know, when we both have such a challenging move, you know, it does make things a lot easier. Yeah, absolutely. Now, you, you get a recall to the Australian Test Team, Adelaide 2008. Yeah. <laughs> um, yep. Were you a regular in the New South Wales side at no. that time? So No, look, I just, yeah, I just played, I reckon – two or three first-class games for New South Wales because Bo, Bo oh, was the, Bo the main Kassen. spinner. Yeah, yeah Bo, Bo was the main spinner. Uh, so I was playing if we were playing two spinners. Okay. And I played, I reckon I'd played maybe two games. Yeah. And look, I, I'd, I just did a really good job. I, um, you know, did what I, what I needed to do. I bowled well to Eunice Khan down in Adelaide. I bowled really well to him. Yep. Uh, and the next game I was 12 man. Uh, after those two games, I just done my job, and, and Moddy and Cato just said, "Mate, look, you know, it's the old cliche, but just keep doing what you're doing. The, the chances will come. You know, look, you bowled really well. You know, you scored runs. Uh, you know, mate, look, you got, you're doing everything right. And then, uh, yeah, then I get a phone call. I'm on the golf course. It was Lam- Grant Lambert was with me. Yeah, I can't remember who, who the other guys were. And, and um, uh, yeah. Digger rung me and said, uh, mate, we're picking you for uh, Adelaide spinner. <laughs> How good. <laughs> I'm like, what? Yeah. So uh, um, I actually, you know, that was, too, sorry, that was the Boxing Day. That was the follow-up. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, was, yeah, yeah, it yeah. was It was after, yeah, that's a, it was after uh, Pete Forrest's dad's funeral. Oh, wow. That's when I got the, yeah, because we went to Forrest's dad's funeral and Donna Anderson, uh, New South Wales, said, oh, look, Nathan, um, Andrew Hildish is trying to get hold of you. I suggest that you call him back. So I'm driving the car back with Diane beside me, and yeah. uh, he says, oh, mate, we're picking you for to play in Adelaide. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah, so it was like, oh, wow, cool, going from salt man to uh, playing a test match. Just a, an amazing turn of events. And then yeah, yeah. Then, then you're on the South Africa tour after that. You don't, don't play any test matches over there, uh, yep. but you get the chance to play in the ODIs. And then um, before you know it, 2009 Ashes roll around. As, as yep. a young kid, I, I, I grew up, my first recollections are the 1989 Ashes and, and I just resonated with the whole Ashes concept and as a kid growing up, that's, yeah, yeah. that's all I ever wanted to do was, was go to the Ashes. 
for you, were there similar? Was there a similar pull to the Ashes? What What does the Ashes mean to Nathan Horitz? Look, it's, it's definitely the, the biggest tournament I've ever, you know, had the privilege of playing in, and you know, always wanted to play at Lords, and uh, you know, just everything about it was just something that, you know, as you said, like you work your whole life for it, and uh, get the opportunity and. But the Ashes series didn't go the way that we wanted um, that first test. Um, you know, I definitely, you know, I shoulder a lot of the blame, you know, in that last hour, you know, not being able to get those two left-handers out uh, to win that test. And, you know, it would have been great to, to walk away that series with a win. Um, but, it, yeah, it'll stick in my mind for a long, long time. Did you have a finger injury in, in yeah. on that tour? Yeah. Mate, I, I played my whole career with injuries. I wasn't a I wasn't a great specimen of an athlete, let me tell you. But um, <laughs> the uh, the second test at Lords, I remember punter because we'd lost the test, so we'd bowled all day up in Cardiff and then had to drive, you know, to Lords. Yeah, it was like a six hour drive, and then we had two light days of training, and then we lost the toss and we're bowling first at Lords. And punter brought me on when England were none for a hundred. Uh, in like the first hour to Strousey and oh. Strousey hit one straight back at me and it wasn't hard yeah. so I just missed it and it dislocated my finger so oh, I didn't wow. play any I didn't bowl again in the first innings but I came back and bowled in the second inning and um, sorry just tracking back um, big wicket of Kevin Peterson in that first test <laughs> yeah I bamboozled him a lot you know so uh, I think he just got you know he's such a good player of spin you know he definitely didn't rate me one little bit. And <laughs> so it was just more a matter of just trying to play on his ego the best I could. And yeah. I, I, I just felt, because he was just playing that lap shot so easily for me, against me, you know, anything that was on the stump. And this one I thought, I'm just going to, you know, just do something really random and throw it really wide. And he yeah. still hit it clean, but he just hit it into his helmet. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, that's, uh, it, was a, it was a big weekend. And look, oh, we played that test so well. We, we did everything right. It's just a matter of that last, you know, hour and a half. It just took forever to get those wickets out on that on that card of wicket. Yeah. And, you know, Collingwood batted really well. I had so many half chances with him. And, you know, you look back at it and go, look, Michael Clark probably should have bowled, you know, the two left-handers, putting the ball in, yeah. getting the rough, all that sort of stuff. But, yeah, uh, such a disappointing result. It's such a good test match. And, and any other personal highlights from, from that Ashes campaign? Oh, no, look, I only played the three games. Uh, second innings, I was really happy with the way I bowled at Lords. You know, look, I took three pretty quick wickets. I got Cook, Strauss and Bapara out pretty quickly. And then um, Flintoff and Collingwood sort of wrestled back to momentum. Yep. Um, and that was it. Like, the next game was the, wash, the bit of the washout at Edgebaston. Yeah, and he bowled right. in the one innings there. Yep. And then, obviously, the, the last two tests, and not disappointed, disappointed not to get the nod in, in um, at the Oval, but there was a bit of... Uh, a bit of uncertainty about whether I could have held up. I had plantar fasciitis and osteitis pubis at the same time. Oh, so I was, right. I was, yeah. yeah, I was struggling a bit, and I was struggling a bit mentally to know if I, you know, could get through a test match. You know, and that put a bit of doubt, I think, in Punter's mind and the selector's mind, and in the end, hurt me. So, but uh, yeah, yeah that's, that's what it was. That's all it was. Was the plantar fasciitis uh, an ongoing thing? Like that's uh, for those. Yeah, who... I, had, I, I had that for about eighteen months. Oh wow. Because that's the kind yeah. of thing where you get out of bed and you put your feet on the floor and you're just in agony, aren't you? On, yeah, on, on yeah. the heels of your feet. On the heel of my foot. Yeah, I got it in the first tour game and I didn't know what it was. Stuart Clark said, oh, mate, I hope if you got plantar fasciitis, I feel so sorry for you. It's one of the worst injuries you can get. So I got that and then while I was trying to um, manage that, I got osteoarthritis pubis because you had changed your walking gait, if oh, that meant a running gait. Yep, 
Yep. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it was a pretty, pretty tough 18 months and I was playing test cricket that time. So it would have been nice to be injury free, but you know, look, that's, that's what test cricket does to you. It makes you push as, as hard as you can go. Absolutely. Absolutely. A test in all facets. Uh, yeah. now uh, a bit more of an obscure one. Um, the 2009 Champions Trophy, Australia win that tournament. Ricky Ponting's outstanding. Shane Watson's outstanding. But one of the key moments in that tournament involves your batting and you're at the crease with, with Brett Lee. Uh, you, it's the final group game against Pakistan and essentially you guys need to win because I think you'd had a washout against India in, in the group stage. So whoever yep. won, it, it was important. Going through. Yeah, yeah, important to yeah. win that game to go through. And you're out there facing Uma Ghul in the last over, you and you and Bing. And I think and you running the head. Yeah, and, and, yeah. and you're on strike for the last ball. Talk us through it. Yeah, look, I, I reckon um, we were only chasing a modest total. I think it might have only been about 200. Like, it wasn't heat, and we were cruising. Yeah. And then, you know, as you do against Pakistan, because the ball starts reversing out of nowhere, we've gone from cruising to be me and Bing and batting with, I think it was we needed 20 to win. I think it was something just, Bing and I were like, wow, we're not supposed to be doing this. Because <laughs> everyone was just like, oh, yeah, this would be an easy victory. And then I think I hit a four. I can't remember how many it was we needed to win up the last over, but I, I think it was I think five it off been, the last over, actually. Five off the last over, I reckon, yeah. And I, and I hit a four through mid wicket. And I, I just remember how far it was reversing. Um, it was just ridiculous. And I was just trying to get out as far as I could. And yeah, it was, it was a pretty good feeling. Like, you know, not, not many people would remember that game, but yeah, it was, it, that's, up there, it's one of my better batting performances to get through that little bit. Yeah, the best nine not out of your career. Can we state yeah. that? <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. And and to win that tournament, the Champions Trophy, it was a bit of a bogey tournament for the Australians. We'd won World Cups and, and whatnot, and we'd won the previous Champions Trophy. So to go back-to-back, um, how, was the, how was the vibe around the group to, to get the job done yeah. against New Zealand? Yeah, no, it was, it was good. You know, look, we, after that, we, you know, we played pretty good cricket. What I, I think got back to back hundred, you know, we played on some pretty good wickets and you know, look, we, we played a very good game against New Zealand. We, we bowled first and bowled really well. Uh, and then, you know, look, what I, what I think Punna might have got run, I can't remember, but what I did the job and, and, and blitzed them, um, you know, looking, it was, a, it was a great, great finish to the tournament. And, you know, it was a bit of a, a different tournament, you know, like it's only over two weeks or whatever, but, uh, you know, obviously, 2020 cricket has taken over that, and you know, yeah. so it should. Be, yeah. And um, we talked about the Ashes and and playing at uh, playing at Lords, and how that's a big highlight. Next on the list, or possibly even ahead on the list for a lot of youngsters, would be Boxing Day Test. Uh, and 2009 was a, re- a really good one for you. Can you tell us about the whole Boxing Day experience uh, and? Um, Batting as a night watchman in a Boxing Day test. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, look, Boxing Day test is, yeah, look, it, it'll probably be the, the, the biggest thing you do as a, as a young Australian cricketer. And you know, the whole lead up to it, the training, the food, you know, yeah. just the, the being around families, all that sort of thing. You know, you're spending Christmas with a completely different family. Um, you know, it's, a, it's a pretty surreal experience. And then playing Boxing Day, you know, day one, there's always a big crowd. Uh, you know, it was always, you know, 60,000 plus, so quite loud. And then, yeah, at night watchman, I remember, uh, I was padded up, so Pup told me to go pad up. Um, you know, there was 10 overs to go, uh, cause I just, 
No, I hadn't. I um, yeah. So he said, "Look, go go pad up." And then so we were there, and then someone got out. I can't remember who it was. Got out with it was like five overs to go. So it was still a fair while to go. Yeah. And Pup was wondering, humming and hurrying what to do, and I was sort of there, gloves on, helmet on. What do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? And then they said, "You go, Rich. You go." So anyway, um, yeah, I went out to bat. I was batting with um, Huff. Yep. And uh, yeah, look, it it was pretty cool going out there. You know, the face. I said, mate, you make sure you face most of the delivery day. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, yeah, no drama. So, mum and I'm here bowling mid 140s. And, you know, look, it was just, uh, I got through it. And then I survived the next day. I survived a, a run out. You know, I almost got run out. And then it was just a lot of fun. You know, look, I just backed myself, played, you know, the wicket was really flat. I just played, played the way I do and uh, got a bit of luck here and there and, and made some runs. Uh, yeah, 75 in a test match, uh, Boxing Day test, uh, one you'll remember. You got some wickets as yep. well in that game. Um, yep. Just, just a happy time. And going in, going into that Sydney test as well, I think you got your your best your best numbers in a test match, uh, a fifer there in Sydney, the test match after. Is that right? Yeah. You know, look, the, the Sydney test match is the, the one with obviously the asterisk on it. You know, look, it was, it was definitely a test match that, you know, Ricky – opting to bat first on the, probably the greenest wicket you'll ever see in the world. Uh, you know, it almost came back to bite us, but he always kept saying, look, if we can get to a lead of 180 somehow, uh, we'll win the test. And uh, look, hey, Pakistan got out and, you know, look, I didn't really bowl any amazing deliveries, but uh, they just kept getting out. So, um, look, at a Pfeiffer, asterisk against it, but uh, I'll take it for sure. Absolutely. And um, 2010, you tour India again, your last test tour. What was yeah, it like going yeah. back to India? Did you take any learnings out of out of your first trip over there? Was it any different the uh, second time around? It was just such a I because I'd come home from England with a stress fracture, so in my foot, so the plantar fasciitis and everything had just finally sort of caught up, and so I was playing the one day tournament in England. Just a, I think it was a five match series, and I had to come home, and I missed the test series. That's where Steve Smith made his debut yeah. in that series. Yep. And I'd come home, I'd literally, I probably only had maybe a month bowling before the India series, and that was just in the nets for punter. And I was just really underdone, really underprepared, and, you know, look, it showed, I, I couldn't create pressure, and, yeah, it's just a really disappointing way to, to finish your career, but, you know, look, I still held out hope that, you know, I was a good enough cricketer to, to get back in, but, um, yeah, it was just a, a really disappointing finish. Your last test wicket, though, Pujara. That's that's a pretty good one to have in the in the bag. Yeah, another one that uh, didn't spin. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, they say that's the hardest one to play, the one that's uh, natural variation. But yeah, I, mean, I was just um, it was a really tough tour. Of, you know, I was popping it from left, right, and center, and I think that's when I started to really just hate cricket. You know, at that stage, I was like, I, I can't win. You know, with with regard to. You know, I can't, you know, I'm battling an injury, so I was just really fighting a lot of mental demons at that stage and, um, you know, it showed on the ground. And how long was that, that battle going on for you? Like you, you, you say... My whole career. Yeah. <laughs> so so um, on reflection, is there any anything you can tell um, youngsters out there or any anything that you've learnt from it that, that you think would help others going going through similar challenges in their in their thinking. Look, I think probably the two big things I'd say look, don't be on social media. Yeah, I think that'd be a big thing, you know, because there's so many keyboard warriors out there who, um, you know, just love to, to knock you when you're down. That's probably one of my biggest ones, and probably the second one is, 
you know, just get to a stage in your game where you have that much confidence in the training, you know, like so you're training, you might bowl a thousand balls a day, you know, so that you get to a stage when you're under pressure, you know, you can go back to that delivery or that shot or, you know, your technique doesn't crumble under pressure. Whereas mine, when I was under heaps of pressure, I went back to the ball, you know, like trying to bowl back of a length, didn't spin. You know, look, instead of being, you know, up and over, spinning hard, up just outside off, hitting off, you know, that's how basic it needs to be. But I just never, I guess, got that from myself in, in training. As hard as I worked, you know, my technique wasn't up to scratch, all that sort of thing. But that, that'd be the, the two most things is, that I'd pass on. And um, dealing with... Um I guess the identity issue around like you, you're, you've spent your whole life working to be a cricketer, um, you reach the elite level, you you play test matches, one day internationals, T20 internationals, Big Bash, you do everything that you'd want to tick off really in terms of yep. accomplishments. To um, to finish up playing test cricket, Did at the end of that tour in India, did you realise that would be your last test or did you still hold hope of, of um, playing some more? No, look, I, I felt that I was still a good enough cricketer. You know, like I knew, I felt that if I could get back to playing state cricket for New South, um, you know, look, I could just get back to bowling more balls, you know, yeah. you know, because I felt that I wasn't far away with everything. I just, you know, India exacerbates everything. You know, a, a four sounds like it's gone for 10. You know, like a good ball goes for, you know, 12. You know, just all the, everything, the crowd, places where you stay, the heat, it just gets there. So I just felt if I can get back, um, I pretty much knew that I wasn't going to play the Ashes. I, I felt that, you know, yeah, like I didn't okay. have much communication. Not that we ever had much communication from selectors, but I, I sort of known that. Look, my performance is like punter, punter needs to walk into a test match and you know have complete faith and confidence that his spinner is going to be able to do a job for twenty, thirty overs in a day. And I wasn't able to do that, so I just felt like if I can get back to state cricket and do that, you know, it might might sway them. Um, you know, look, I, I had a really good domestic series with start and, and all that sort of thing but they wanted to go with Xavier Doherty and then you know for whatever reason they went with Michael Beer and at that stage I was like okay look I, I think now because I, I think I went back to back hundreds and a couple fifers and all that sort of stuff in that space and they picked Michael Beer um, so I was like look at the moment my door is going to be closed for a little bit so I just need to just keep playing cricket that's all I can do yeah that was a that was a breakout summer uh, with the bat for you, uh, 146 yeah. against South Australia at the SCG. Yep. Um, yep. Backed it up with 110 not against Queensland at Blacktown, um, yep. averaging at just a tick under 50 for the season. Um, yeah. and, and throw in your 19 wickets at 26 and a bit, uh, a lot better than your career first-class numbers. Yeah, yeah. Um, you must have been feeling pretty good about the way you were executing. Yeah, I was, I was, you know, look, it was probably the first time in my career that it actually felt like I was starting to become the cricketer that I wanted to be, you know, with the, 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 the really, the decent batter that can bat, you know, seven school runs and the bowler that can, you know, win games and stuff like that. It's, you know, I, I don't reckon I've ever sort of felt like that. Um, you know, in one day cricket, yeah, definitely. I've, I've always sort of felt that I could do that job. Yeah. But in, in the longer format, you know, I felt like, okay, look, this is, Springboarding, springboarding me into the next phase of my career where I can, you know, be that spinner that takes, you know, 40 to 50 shield wickets a year. You know, yeah. playing at the SPC every second game, you know, with a great spot to bowl, um, you know, and, and be able to average, you know, 30 to 40 with the bat. Yeah. And um, 
the next step is you selected for the World Cup uh, 2011. And then uh, what looked like uh, a fairly routine piece of fielding, chasing a ball down at mid-off or somewhere like that from memory, um, you you slide to pick up the ball and and then you just – your face looked in agony and um, your shoulder's gone. Can you – Yeah. Can you explain the emotions there? You, you, you would have been very excited um, being in that World Cup squad, chance to play in a major tournament, and then something like that happens. How, how, um, uh, how, 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 do you, how do you process something like that? Uh, you can't, to be honest. Um, I remember, yeah, it was a horrible thing. And, uh, you know, look, people have horrible, you know, always, someone's always got something horrible happening to them, but... You know, I felt that, you know, you know, you, you, you play some consistent cricket, you get your way back into it. And an injury like this, I remember laying on the, <clears throat> on the massage table with my shoulder still out and I was just bawling because, like, I, I, we were only leaving in a month or whatever. You know, I think it was only like two weeks. It was straight after that series. So I, I pretty much knew that I wasn't going to be able to go because, you know, you, there's no way in the world that a full shoulder dislocation can just pop back in and you can bowl, you know, at your peak and stuff. And I said, Alex, what's the chances? And he goes, mate, you just never know. And, um, yeah, it was a, a really horrible, really horrible time. And then about a week later, I had to try and bowl after the shot had been dislocated. And I think I took about 10 penadine forwards to try and get through it and bowl to, to Digger. Yeah. Um, Digger was there. And, uh, yeah, it was just no good. No good at all. So I was pretty, I was pretty shattered to be fair. Probably, yeah. the, probably the lowest, probably up there with the lowest point in my career, and still doesn't get any easier talking about it. Let me tell you. Yeah, sorry to bring it up. No, uh, no, nah, nah, it's all good. It's all good. Part, it's part of it. It's fine, yeah. And um, the big bash. Tell us about the big bash. That was um, that's been a revolution for Australian yeah. cricket, and you, you were part of it at the beginning, playing at at the Brisbane Heat. Uh, yeah. Your, your early thoughts on T Twenty cricket when it when it oh, started gosh. up. Yeah, look, I guess for me when I first started up as a spinner, you know, look, I first played for New South Wales and I found it easy, you know, because these batsmen, they had to try and hit sixes and we're playing on these big boundaries and, um, you know, it was just a completely different game that first year. I was taking wickets. I was like, wow, this is a lot of fun. And we, as New South Wales, we won the the Champions League um, back when they had it. Um, And then when it changed to a franchise, that's when uh, I went up to play for Brisbane Heat. Um, and that's when we knew it was all starting to, to change then. Because you know, when we first started, it was like, oh, yeah, you know, you can have a few beers, a bit of fun. You know, it's not that serious. But then when we went to a franchise, it was like a lot of money invested and, yeah, things started to change very quickly. And some success for you. The the Brisbane Heat win BBL 2 You take three pretty handy catches in that game. You bowl really tightly. Yep. You, you pick yep. up man of the match. Um Chris Lynn even had a bowl back then too. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that conversation with Hart because uh, yeah, I opened the bowling, so I had a pretty ordinary tournament. I was really struggling. You know, it was just one of those things. So as a spinner, you know, you, you bowl your first over. If it's a good over, you might get another one. If you go for nine, we had about seven bowlers. So I might not bowl again that game. You know, I could go none for 10 off the one over in the first over or the second over and not come on again. Yep. Uh, unless, you know, at the Gabber or whatever, it was just that's just the way, you know, Hope's your captain, um, you know, and, and that's what it was. We had Hope, Christian, uh, we had Kima, myself. Uh, there were heaps of, there was 
uh, Gannon and McDermott. We just had so many, so many bowlers that it was just, we just couldn't not give everyone a go. And then uh, yeah, I bowled three up the front, three up front, and, and bowled you know the first three overs of the game, and I think went for about eleven or something. Yeah. Um, and then yeah, taken. I remember catching Soft out on the boundary. Yeah. Uh, it was because I always said to the fielders because I like fielding in the in the outer. I've always said, look, you can always hang in five meters because it doesn't matter how well he hits it. It's not going to go over your head, <laughs> and uh, it almost did. Like it, uh, he absolutely smoked it. And then, um, yeah, That's... I remember the conversation with Hart. Uh, and I was batting, and yeah. he was their last last batsman that could get them close. And I and Hart was like, "Well, what do you think?" I said, "Well, to be fair, me putting the ball in, he could just get me, and like Linny, Linny could bowl handy little undercutters, yeah. keep him cramped, and he did did the did the job, got him caught, and that was it. Rest is history." Yeah, and um, the semi-final as well. There, the Renegades, I think, only lost one regular season game that year. And, yeah, they did. Yeah, and, and you guys, you guys smoked them. Was it Pommes Batch who teed up yeah, that Pommes, night? Yeah, Pommes got on an unbelievable run the last three or four games. It was so dangerous, and uh, he he whacked a hundred. I think we got like about hundred and eighty or two hundred, and mm. they look obviously relied heavily on on Finchy and I can't remember who else they had. Like Benny Roar was having a great season, but. We, you know, we got early wickets, and in twenty twenty cricket, down there especially, if you get early wickets, it's almost impossible to come back. Yeah, absolutely. And um, you, you, your big bash career continues at the Thunder, and then finishes at the Renegades. Any recollections <coughs> of playing at those clubs and your time there? Yeah, look, I enjoyed both those times. You know, look, the, the Renegades was definitely nowhere near, you know, the peak of my career. I guess, you know, look, it was really hard. Um, you know, just playing the one format for eight weeks in the year and I was really just a backup spinner to um, Xavier Doherty and look, I, and, it, and it was hard you know I was trying so much the Thunder I thought I bowled okay we it was you know we had three games where our batsmen got under 100 you know so it was really tough for me to get into the season and but uh, look I, I enjoyed both those Stakes was a great coach I enjoyed you know playing cricket under Stakes uh, Finchie was you know a great captain and you know it was mate it is what it is in a franchise model these days you know you're in you're out and you, know, you keep moving forward and how was it being uh, just purely a, a, a T20 player at that stage? You weren't playing, you weren't in the regular squad at a state at that time. How, how, yep. was, how was it getting yourself in, into T20 mode for those, uh, that, that big bash window? It was really hard, purely for the fact that, you know, look, I had a normal job, you know, so I was working a nine to five, you know, real estate job at the time and that, that was what I was trying to do. You know, and, you know, you're playing a little bit of cricket, you're doing a little bit of training. You know, you really need, if, you, if you've got two big bash gigs or one big bash gig where you can earn a decent amount of money, then you can just, now you can train all day. You know, that's, that's the life of a T20 cricketer these days. If you've got two gigs earning $120,000, um, you know, that's probably minimum these days. You know, like you can just train. You can train yeah. six hours a day. You don't need to, you can study, get it, or, you know, whatever you need to do, whereas, when I was there, they were just basic, basic contracts, very minimum, and I couldn't live off them, so I needed to try and work and start forging my career the other way. And um, mo- moving out of cricket, how has that transition been for you? <clears throat> uh, in one word, horrible. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, it's better now. No, it's better now. Um, no, nah, look, I really struggled mentally. I struggled mentally for the oh, best part of... Um, I've been out of the game now, I reckon, 
probably four years, four to five years, and, and I really struggled. I, I had a lot of business towards Queensland, so I felt I still had a lot left to give Queensland cricket. I felt I was still a good enough cricketer yep. uh, to be playing, and they just went a different direction with Jason Flores. Um, you know, and that they're allowed to do that. You know, I didn't handle that well. Um, I just, you know, look, it was just really hard. I, I, I had bits and pieces of a degree. I just didn't know what what way I wanted to go with my life, and I didn't want to do anything in cricket. But um, yeah, I, I definitely had moments. I'm, I'm not a, not afraid to say it anymore. I definitely had moments of wanting to take my own life. You know, it was really really tough at the end. I battled depression so severely. Um, was on medication, I reckon, for about 18 months. Um, yeah, and personal life suffered, marriages suffered, all that sort of stuff. Um, now, I've probably only been in the last, oh, best part of 12 months, I reckon, that I've been able to, to turn my life around. And, um, you know, I'm back in cricket now, back coaching, um, setting up a little uh, a spin academy here in Queensland to, to help spin academy slash like mentorship to yep. help young kids, young spinners, you know, to... to uh, handle the pitfalls that I sort of went through, you know, and be a mentor slash coach, um, that sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, that sort of I was before the coronavirus. That yeah. was that was launching May one. Oh wow! Um, yeah. So the idea, um, you know, work with this young spinners, you know, have programs them to to work with online, and I was going to travel the state to find you know the best twenty or thirty young spinners, you know, working with. Sport core and their revolution ball and all that sort of thing yep. and work with them. So five months of coaching, five months of mentoring. So when they're playing, because yep. um, I found that's the biggest thing when you're actually playing, you don't need a lot of coaching. You just need, you know, a shoulder to talk, try on or someone to talk to about cricket. Yeah. Um, you know, so that's, that's still going to launch, but I don't know. It might be June one now. Just have to wait and see what happens in the world, you know, really. Yeah. Um, just coaching, doing stuff with the heat. Um, bits and pieces with Queensland cricket, and you know, I did a lot of private coaching the first term. I was, you know, about eight or nine private schools, and I just, you know, got my love of the of spin bowling back. Really, um, I had a really tough time with it. And outside of that, I'd, you know, run a couple of cleaning businesses. You know, so um, that's been pretty busy for the last, obviously, six weeks. Yeah, I'd say business would be booming there at the moment. Everyone, uh, everyone wanting to make sure they steer clear of of the virus. Yeah. It's, it's, it's funny, you know, look, it's, it's almost like when someone says something about the virus, you get a lot of phone calls and then a couple of days later it dies down and, you know, that's, that's what it is. But, um, you know, we're seeing, I'm seeing a lot of people, uh, you know, on, I guess on the front line, if that makes sense, you know, battling all this stuff and, you know, it just makes you, it, it does, it gives me a great appreciation for the, the humans in Australia, what they're doing and around the world, you know, putting their lives really on, at risk to try and fight this thing. Absolutely, absolutely. Un- unprecedented times. Now, um, you- you've been extremely generous with your time. I would like to ask you one final question. It's the question we ask yeah, all-, all of our guests on the show. I- if you could have a net session with anybody, uh, <clears throat> living or dead, past, present, uh, cricketers, rock stars, celebrities, whoever, who, who would you like to have an hour in the nets with? I know you mentioned you got Justin Langer out half a dozen times in the nets. Would you like to put him through his paces again, or are there there's some other other people there that you might like to um, to line up with for a, for a hit in the nets? Look, I think first person has to be Don Bradman. Oh. You know, look, you you don't have to. I have to test my skill against him and see how he'd play me. Yep. Uh, no doubt he just try and late cut me. I reckon because you know, <laughs> I, I didn't spin him much. Um, uh, the Rock, Dwayne Johnson. Yeah. He's, He's definitely 
um, one of my, uh, I guess, I suppose to be like The Rock. I just reckon he's amazing, everything that he's done in, in the world and everything like that. He is um, he's a class act, The Rock, Dwayne Johnson. Yeah. And probably I reckon the last guy is someone I used to bowl to in the Nets a lot. You know, he's, he's a very good mate. We still keep in touch a lot. He's my Tuffy. Okay. Um, he, um, when, we, when I first started playing cricket against Huff when I was young, I used to... I used to literally get huff out every time I bowled to him, uh, which was quite strange because, you know, look, he's Mr. Cricket, you know, and he was, <laughs> he, he, and, and I think what happened was he eventually, because I used to bowl to him in the net all the time and it'd be the biggest challenge, you know, and we'd play for dinner or whatever it was. And um, I could see, so when I played again, when he played for WA, I played for Queensland, get him out or whatever. Then once we toured for Australia for a little bit, I could see how much his game was changing, how much it had changed. Um, and I'd, I'd like to see how good he is now. He's still whack me, but um, yeah, that, that, those three would be pretty cool, I reckon. He would have probably gone home from those hits with you and written in his little exercise book <laughs> all, all, his, all his, his little notes on how I can take Nathan Horitz down, I reckon. Mate, that's, that's probably where, how he came in with the reverse sweep. He used to go, Richie, I can't put you anywhere, mate. It doesn't spin. I think it's not. You know, like, we're out to dinner having a beer, and he's like, mate, I think I can do this. I'm like, huh. Let's just have a beer and forget about cricket. <laughs> <laughs> oh, He's a good man. Uh, sensational stuff. Well, thanks so much for your time, Nathan. It, it's been a real pleasure going down memory lane with you and, and chatting with you for the Cricket Library podcast. Uh, wish you all the best with your your coaching ventures that are launching hopefully sooner rather than later and 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 life in general as well uh settling back into life and and finding your passions and um and living them out. Thank you, mate. Much appreciated. And look, thanks very much for this. It's been, uh, it's been awesome. A massive thanks to Nathan Horitz for joining us on the Cricket Library podcast today. Extremely generous with his time and extremely open and honest about some of the challenges and struggles he's faced both through his career and post-career. And I really appreciate his authenticity and genuineness in talking to us and answering those questions on the Cricket Library podcast today and enjoyed hearing his cricket stories as well. Love that he collected cricket cards. Who didn't collect cricket cards for that matter? I don't know if there'd be many listeners of the podcast who, who didn't collect cricket cards as a youngster and possibly some that still do for that matter. Great to hear those stories. Great to hear about the passion for the game that he had from his grandfather and then his dad and progressing through all the pathways and ending up in that Australian team eventually. A a magnificent achievement to represent Australia with distinction the way he did and his career record is one that he can be very proud of indeed, Nathan Horitz. And if you liked that chat and you'd like to hear some others. We've had some other great ones recently as well. We caught up with Guy Walker not that long ago. Also, Tim Ludeman, Leah Poulton, Graham Winter, Daryl Tuffy. Plenty of big names on the program and plenty of great stories coming out of those chats as well. So please make sure you do take the time to catch up on those leave us a review subscribe to the podcast so that anytime we release something it can come straight to you and there are some exciting conversations coming up in the coming weeks and months for you as well it's time to bid you all farewell this has been matt ellis for the cricket library podcast thanks for tuning in bye for now